Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hey everyone, welcome in. We are in 1 Corinthians 13 today, the, the love passage. I feel so in love right now, Rob. This is, this, is this going to be the Valentine's Day episode? Yeah, we bad, it. bad call on my part. Hey, I need you to do me a favor, by the way. Today. If you haven't noticed, we have a lot of notes today and we have a lot of content mm-hmm. to go through. First, first, I need you to behave yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. a problem. Yeah. I'm, you, I'm the issue. Yeah. You got to behave yourself so we can get through this today. All right. It, because last the, time was just not good. Well, and last time you kept like a minute and a half of what I think was about a 15, 15 minute ordeal. Minutes, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so yeah, let's not do that again. I, I will definitely not bring up reaction. Yeah, I got, I got again. things to do. Yeah, and I didn't even end up making my point. <laughs> no, I, 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 I noticed about if you're listening here and you listen to the recording that Vinny was going to make the point later, and then he never actually made the point. So I'm like, oh yeah, I never got to that. But, but hey, let me, I'm going to make that point. I'm going to make that point because it's really quick. Here's the thing I love about that moment where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thank you. <laughs> to use their, I would say their Christian names. It's literally not their Christian names. No, their Babylonian names. The Babylonian names. But yeah. th- there's this point in in Daniel chapter three in which they're gonna like the the doom is coming. They're going to get their consequence for not, you know, worshiping a, a false god, false deity, and. They, their whole thing is because we were talking, the context for us talking about this is like faith healers and what happens when someone mm. isn't healed and that sort of thing. And we sometimes mm. pray for the will of God, but we kind of do it in a way where it's like, but because we don't believe that God actually can. It makes us an out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I just love their response because their response is like, hey, our God will save us and he can save us. But right. even if he doesn't, he's still God. That's right. Yeah. Even and, if he does not. Yes. Yeah. And we I will not bow down to you. Yes. Yeah. And I, because it's like, it's, it's so confident and it's like, no, he will and he can, but even if he doesn't. Right. And yeah, I, I, I don't know, which is a comforting, which is great, mature. And those are like kids. Like I'm 44 and I'm, I'm not that wise. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. Right. Let's be honest. Okay. Anyway, what are we doing today? Where you, you were going to well, say something. Uh, yeah. Let me comment on this. You know, we talked about the love chapter and I remember when I was preaching or even when I was teaching, I'm like, okay, I'm going to teach on this topic or I'm going to preach on this, on this. Uh, the book of James or first Corinthians or Matthew or whatever, I always would think and go, Oh, you know what? There's something in that book there that I'm still working on myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I'm ready to preach this. Right. Yeah. Cause you, you know, you're preaching and your wife is sitting there, you know, it's just like, Oh, hypocrite. Right. <laughs> it, 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 you just have to, to say, listen, I need to be able to do this myself as well as can I can. And sometimes you, you're honest and vulnerable. Like, Hey, I'm working on this too. But the love chapter is just one of those things like, you know, I'm not sure either one of us are mm-hmm, really uh, mm-hmm. um, ready for this today because the reality is this is hard. It's not, it's, it's obviously I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength, but this is a, a, a work in pro. We are a work in progress. Yeah, mm-hmm. Don't ask our wives. We're not going to invite them on the podcast. <laughs> hey, it's a special guest. Have your wife. I'm like, no, let's not do yeah, that. Let's not do that. Yeah. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I think this is, this is the, you know, you said this should be a Valentine's day episode or whatever this this should be an episode for like every single yeah. week we talk because yeah. this is the essence of Christendom, right? Jesus Christ is Lord and our responsibility is to image him and model him and do what he did and make him known. And what he did and does is love. That's who he is. And th- so this is the essence of, of Christendom. So I think that's uh, really significant. So we hinted at this last week, I want to say, but chapter 13 it's not the wedding chapter because we always hear this at a wedding right Uh, but that's not what's happening here this is in the middle of the conversation about spiritual gifts 
Yeah. Yeah. First Corinthians 12 and 14 are about spiritual gifts. And then we say 13 is the love chapter. And the answer is no, 13 is also about spiritual gifts. Notice that uh, chapter 12 ends in verse 31 with, but earnestly desire greater gifts. And then 14 verse 1 begins with, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And the Greek is almost identical. It changes uh, one word. This is a, a way of framing a text, right? You begin a phrase, you begin a passage or a verse or a section or a whole book with a, a certain statement or a phrase. And then you uh, close that passage or phrase or whole book with a certain phrase uh, by repeating it. And that's what's going on. So the, the passage is framed with, hey, earnestly desire spiritual gifts and earnestly desire the greater gifts. And so I think we have to understand the fact that what, ha what is happening here is Paul saying, look, you guys can talk about being spiritual all you want and be by being spiritual people and whatever it might be. But unless you use your gifts, unless you use those gifts in love, sorry, they're worthless. And ultimately, love is at the heart of the biblical story in a sense. It's, it's you know, it's the heart of the Christian ethic. And we would say it's not because it's not love for love's sake, but it's love because this is what comes from God. I, I like the first thing I think about is uh, John three sixteen, which everyone knows because you've seen a um, you know you've seen a football I game. The football game, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But even the first John three sixteen, which there's not, it's not like that's a coincidence. It's just how scholars five hundred years ago happened to insert <laughs> the chapter and verse divisions. But it says, "By this we know love." that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, the fellow Christians. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and it's easy to gloss over a verse like that too, but just look at that verse again. NIV says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, there you go. Yeah. And, and that's the whole essence of what love is. Like, love is laying down your lives uh, for, for one another. Absolutely. Yeah. One issue that I don't want to say issue, confusion that I think is kind of popular in a sense in church. And I, and I would even say it's probably like borders on heresy. So I, I, I remember hearing a sermon a few years ago in which the, the pastor was wanting to highlight the fact that God is love. And so he was making the point that uh, because God is love, he needed something to love. And that's why he created. And it's our duty now as creation. we like, we owe him to love back because that is our purpose, which oh, I'm wow. thinking it's like, that just completely destroys any meaningful theology of the Trinity. Right. Yeah. It, it radically undermines the Trinity. In fact, and obviously it radically undermines the nature of God too, because God has a need. Uh, right. And obviously yeah. It has all kinds of problems. We I probably shouldn't go down that rabbit, rabbit trail too much. But the nature of love is the fact that there must be someone else to love, another mm -hmm. to, to mm -hmm. express that love. And the, it affirms the Trinity then. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have existed eternally in a loving relationship with mm -hmm. one another. God has no need at all to mm -hmm. create. He didn't need to create at all. He didn't need us to love him back. Or, hey, let's do him a favor and help the guy out. Yeah, after all, I mean, the big dude did make all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. That, that's blasphemous. Yeah, it's absolutely um, problematic. But yeah, to, re uh, to reiterate the point, love is Trinitarian mm -hmm. and only makes sense that God is love. The idea that God is not a Trinity has a problem at this point also, mm -hmm. right? So if it's other churches or religious groups that claim to be Christian or whatever it might be, but deny the Trinity, you know, God is one. That's it. If God is one, then there was nothing for him to love and he had a need. He did mm -hmm. need to create uh, so that he could have something to love. But if God exists as Father, Son, and Spirit eternally, then he had no need to create because they existed eternally in a loving relationship. Yeah.
absolutely. It's it's important to recognize too. Then when we look at the biblical story, especially I, I don't want to say especially in the New Testament story, but when mm-hmm. you see how Jesus interprets the Ten Commandments, yeah. there's actually only two commandments: it's love God and love neighbor, which is you could sum up all ten in in those two kinds of categories. Yeah, yeah, and we did have a podcast where we discussed that a little bit more in the Gospel of Mark's uh, passage, and there also. But yeah, the key is that these two commandments are interrelated. Mm-hmm. So you shall love the Lord your God. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right. Those aren't isolated. The idea is that if you love God, it will manifest itself in your love for your neighbor or any of your enemies, like Jesus says. So it's not saying that there's like options, like you could pick right. one of these things to love. Exactly. But, and that's, I think, the argument that I was trying to make in the communion discussion mm-hmm. that we had uh, in First Corinthians 11 a few weeks ago. And that is that you can't take communion when we're di- abusing our brother and sister in Christ or, or treating them poorly or disrespecting them and what have you, if we're in conflict with the brother and sister in Christ, they are, and we are together, the body of Christ. And then you can't take communion, which is the body of Christ, and it, it's a contradiction. And so there, there has to be a resolution there. So I think the way our love for God gets manifested is in our love for one another. Mm-hmm. But yeah. would you, this is where I would, uh, I'm not saying this is what you're saying, but when you look at maybe the divide in the Christian world, especially in America, between maybe the evangelical right who's very concerned about theology and right doctrine, mm-hmm. and then you might have the evangelical left, we could call them, that is very concerned about social Just, justice, justice issues. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you call that. And this is where I think Tim Keller does a really good job of chastising both sides mm-hmm. of the equation, where it's yes. like, hey, evangelicals on the right, great job of emphasizing right theology and right doctrine. Like, that's good, but it can't be at the, that's not more important than loving your neighbor. And guess what, people on the left, loving your neighbor is not meaning you're actually believing the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I guess my question or statement or whatever would be by merely showing love for one another. That doesn't mean you love God. I, I know right. great altruistic atheists sure. or people of other religions that are just like, it's like, you're a better person than I am. But unfortunately, I don't think you know God or I don't think you love God. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, that's fine. I, absolutely. I would agree. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So let's define love then. What what is what does it mean by that? There's, especially, I don't know, in this day and age, love is, I don't even know how to define that word. Love is in the air. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And and I and I love my son and my wife, wife and pizza. And uh and I love to hate, you know, Bostonian sports teams. I you know Yeah, that's that's hope for you. Do you want to talk about the uh Patriots game from last weekend? No, you, I don't. You don't want to talk about the Raiders Patriots no, game? I'm gonna edit that out so you can talk all you want. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, I, great, I do the I do the editing. So. The greatest ending to a football game in history. Yeah, so I think 1 Corinthians 13 is going to do this for us, and we're going to understand exactly what Paul is getting at here. And let me make a couple comments on that. Number First off, let me make the comment of that this chapter is also conditioned by the situation in Corinth to which Paul is responding. So I don't think we would look at this and go, this is the treatise on love that Paul sat down and said, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about love. Let me cover all the bases. He's specifically applying the topic of love to the issue in Corinth and the problems in Corinth. So it can extend more broadly. Uh, but secondly, I think the essence of love is that love looks like the cross. Hmm. That, that's what love looks like. As Paul says in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her or for it. This is the essence of love. Love is essentially is a willingness to sacrifice self for the sake of others. 
Uh, and I think uh, Philippians 2, of course, which we'll get to in a few months uh, mm-hmm. on our podcast, eventually we'll get there. You know, consider others better than yourselves, right? And then he goes on to say, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, well, being a very nature of God, became human and became, uh, as a human, separate from the cross, uh, and then God exalted him. So I think this is the essence of love. So the, the thing I would point out then in 1 Corinthians 13, love is not self-seeking. Love seeks the interest for other of others. So, uh, and in First Corinthians fourteen, which we'll get to in our next episode, then Paul is going to argue that to use your spiritual gifts in love means that you're concerned with building up the body of Christ. You're mm-hmm. doing it for them. So you, it's it's not loving to go. I'm a great teacher, so let me get up and pontificate for an hour, and you're going to listen to me because I'm a great teacher. That's not love. To be a great teacher means to say, I care that you learn. And that you know and that you understand. A server, a person who has the gift of serving, just serves because they 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 rejoice in serving, but they also want to serve you. Another that's the, the essence of love. I, I think that's the key feature of it. When we use a word like love, it oftentimes has like the most it's like the, the highest on the hierarchy of emotions. And so it's like, I might like person a but i love person b and it's i love them because i've already liked them and i grew in my relationship you know there's that scale there Mm -hmm. um but love doesn't necessarily have to work that way i could love someone and not necessarily like them i'm 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 reading um tim keller's book on forgiveness right now Mm -hmm. and he even talks about that how um you know a, a wife who is being abused like she she needs to protect herself and she like what does forgiveness look like in that situation but she could still like call the police yes and that and that is actually a loving thing to do even though you don't like the husband at this moment yeah actually you know a really important qualification we probably should make right now too and that is to call the police and have your husband turn in and get him the help actually is the most loving yes exactly the idea of saying well i'm sacrificing myself for him uh, is not mm-hmm. you know, and and being abused and tolerating that that is not love because that's actually not helping this person even get better yeah or allowing them to do, to act criminally upon you is not loving mm-hmm. um, yeah so love does not like injustice mm-hmm. is a, a way of putting it maybe another way of saying it is you know love lays down one's life for those who are doing injustice but it doesn't mean that I have to like those who are doing injustice and a good way of thinking that is Jesus did not like Rome for crucifying him. Mm-hmm. Yet he loved the Romans who crucified him. And in fact, he died for them. So much so that when he's on the cross and the crowd's gathering around him saying, you know, hey, you saved others, now save yourself. The way I like to to discuss that verse is, you saved others, now save yourself. For most humans, especially men, the idea of standing up for yourself and proving yourself, Mm -hmm. right, is, that's on the table here, Jesus. You saved others, now save yourself. Oh, I could get off the cross and I'll show them who I am. I mean, that's exactly what I would do, right? That's mm-hmm. what we would do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show them. I'm going to shut them up once and for all. I've had, I've had enough with these mm-hmm. people. The second Jesus gets down from the cross, he condemns them all. Yeah. So to love them is to stay on the cross, even though they're doing this the act of one of the greatest injustices in the history of the world, if not the greatest, because it's an innocent person uh, who's being crucified. I, I forget if I have shared this example before but it's one that's worth repeating because you'd mentioned how jesus still loved romans even though rome was committing the injustices and richard wormbrand's book tortured for christ and you could mm. like you could get free copies of that i think if you just go to mm-hmm. voice of the martyrs.com they, they send okay. those things out like hotcakes and he he's he's this romanian pastor who was jailed 
twice, I think for a total of like 14 or 15 years. Um, it's been a while since I read the book, but there's this example of him talking about all the injustices, mm-hmm. uh, communism and, and how they like were killing pastors, kids in front of them because the pastors would not renounce Jesus. Just the awful, awful things that literally make you weep when you read it. And there's a point in there where he says, I hate communism. And you know, it's obvious mm-hmm. by this point, how awful it is. He says, but I love communists. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, if there's anyone who has the right to, <laughs> who has earned the right to say all you are wrong, all you are evil. It's, it's Richard Wormbrand. And the yeah. fact that he still says, but I love communists, the persons. Yeah. Let me add to that a little bit too, because I think what we see on Facebook and social media is people hating Democrats or hating mm-hmm. Republicans yes. or hating this politician or hating abortionists or non-abortion you know, pro-lifers or whatever. And the answer is, and your hatred of that you're actually displaying an attitude of anger and hatred towards them. Yeah. And so to love them means to treat them with respect Mm -hmm. and to treat them with dignity and with honor, even though you don't like them or agree with them or appreciate them or you think so. So there's a fine line there sometimes, right? Between calling out injustice and maintaining a love for individuals. And I think we've gotten, we've, we've crossed that line a long way back and need to need to reconsider that, how we, how we go back. Yeah. So as you said, the the lead into this chapter is it's Paul showing uh, a more excellent way of doing something. So right. what is what does that look like? Uh, yeah. So uh, let me give a quote from Gordon Fee, who sadly passed away just a few yeah. months ago, I think it was, but one of the great biblical New Testament scholars, he said, let the interpreter beware, lest too much analysis detract from its sheer beauty and power, referring to 1 Corinthians 13. Unfortunately, however, the love affair with this love chapter has also allowed it to be read regularly apart from its context. Even worse is that reading of it in context, which sees it as set over and against spiritual gifts. Mm. So I think it's, it's let's look at this more excellent way and let's look at it um, with understanding it in its context. And it's probably not a husband to its wife per se, as much as it is uh, how we deal with spiritual gifts within the context of the church. Sorry. Let's go ahead and read, read 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 through 13 to start with. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall now fully, even as I have been known fully. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's just begin by noting, of course, as I mentioned earlier, that the context is set with spiritual gifts. And Paul begins by saying, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, verse two, if I have the gift of prophecy, the context is the Corinthian people 
who were likely proud of their spiritual gifts and had probably thought of themselves as some spirit, uh, having attained something. Uh, maybe uh, in First Corinthians 15, we're going to discuss the fact that some say that there is no resurrection of the dead. That they, they may have had some kind of theology that says that we have reached the end. We've reached mm. the height and that's evidenced by our spiritual gifts. And Paul's answer is, you guys are divisive. You guys are abusing the poor at communion. You guys have a, a man in your congregation who has his father's wife and you're proud of him. You guys are doing all these, making all these rules against um, widows and against uh, um, people that aren't married. And wait a second, let, let's 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 go back here and, and address this uh, more carefully. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, it's worthless. And the, and we'll get this in chapter fourteen because tongues without interpretation don't benefit anybody because nobody mm. knows what you said. They might even lead to your own arrogance and boastfulness, right? And if you have the gift of prophecy and you know all the mysteries and all knowledge, but you don't have love, it's like. It's nothing. It's worthless. So I think the context becomes so significant, as we mentioned mentioned earlier. Now, notice again that tongues is the first item listed on the list. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, likely because that was the gift that they were emphasizing the most and that the Corinthians had placed the most emphasis upon. And that's also likely why tongues is at the bottom of the list in chapter 12 when Paul lists, hey, first of all, there's apostles. Secondly, all there's, there's uh, prophets. Third, there's teachers. And then he gets down to the end and says uh, various kinds of tongues. Mm-hmm. So I think this sets the context for us a little bit there. Yeah, hey, we're we're still in verse three. So you had made the comment about uh, being burned. Mm-hmm. I read from the ESV, and I, I didn't like I, I didn't catch obviously when I was reading it. Uh, another translation there. The other translations usually have something to do with about boasting. Uh, so yeah. that's an interesting rendering there. I read a quick textual note and how it's. It's just a variant between manuscripts. It's interesting that the ESV would choose to go with that reading. Which one did the ESV go with? Uh, with, if I deliver up my body to be burned. Okay. Instead of uh, if I deliver up my body in order to boast. So the ESV is going to be more in line with the King James trend. Mm-hmm. So the difference between burned and boast in Greek is actually one letter. Mm-hmm. And so someone changed the letter at some point in time. It probably makes the most sense that if I make this boast makes more sense than being burned with the, the context, is, it makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. If I, if I do all these things, so, and then I make this boast, it's like, wait a minute, then that's not love. It, it's worthless. Some have suggested that under the persecution of Nero, Nero was, was torching Christians, right? And Nero is uh, in the 54 to 68 AD. So Jesus dies in the year 30. So you're looking 25 to 35 years after the death of Jesus, Nero is the emperor and early sixties, he starts, persecuting Christians and he was having them burn. And so some have suggested that maybe as early as that, the idea that if I offer my body to be burned, that, that that's where that tradition came in. Now, first Corinthians was written before that anyways, mm-hmm. but long story short, I think it probably is more likely that it's, I do all these things to the poor and so that I may boast uh, than, than it is that, that I may, bur- may be burned. Yeah. Let's notice this. Uh, so he begins verses one through three by saying these spiritual gifts, that they're not used in love, then they're worthless. And then he goes to really kind of define love. And again, remember, this may not necessarily be an exhaustive list of, of what love is. But when he defines love, he lists really 10 things. There's two positive things, two positive features. Love is patient. Love is kind. Uh, and then he has eight negative things. And I provided, if, for those who are listening, I provided for Vinny kind of laid this out kind of in the, in the Greek text. So it's easier to see the order and structure of the way that uh, Paul has this laid out. There's eight things that are all in the negative. And then the last of those eight items, which, the, and Vinny can see this more clearly, 
in verse 6, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. That's one thing. And you can see the structure, Vinny, that there's no Mm -hmm. and or ooh or something like that connecting the two. Instead, it's a it's a da, which is but a but. Mm-hmm. So uh, it does not rejoice with unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. So there's two positives: love is patient, love is kind, and then there are eight negatives. And the negatives, it's interesting. Like the implication is, this is what you're not doing. Mm-hmm. I think that's the items on, on this list. These are things that you're not doing. And if you actually took a list, these words, and then did a search on when they appear in First Corinthians, you begin to realize, oh, that's exactly what Paul's talking about. All the things that you guys are not doing. So he begins by saying, and again, if you have a comment here, uh, feel free to uh, interject. He begins by saying, um, it is not envy or it's not jealous. And then chapter three, verse three, specific, that's specifically one of the things that they were doing in the church in Corinth. They were very envious and jealous of, of others. So then he says, it doesn't boast. Then, it says, then he says, it doesn't boast and it is not proud. And then it goes on, and that's not rude. And the idea of rude is it doesn't behave um, shamefully or disgracefully or unbecomingly. One translator, one commentator says that uh, shameful behavior is not loving. Mm-hmm. It's kind of kind of the idea there. Love Which is that would self- be that would be interesting in a we've talked so much about an honor and shame society yeah. that this is written in, uh, and and so like this is just not this is not uh, Paul's way of. Um, mere reconciliation or making people warm and fuzzy. This is very countercultural in, yes. in that regard. Yes, because in that culture, you did things to get yourself an advantage, which was often an advantage of like, I want food tomorrow, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And you're, you're trying to get ahead uh, there. So you give honor to the people that have honor and you and you shame those who have shame or, or you don't give them honor if they don't have honor. And Paul's like, no, that's not what this does. Uh, interestingly, the the word for root is used in chapter 7, verse 36. Let me turn there first. Okay. Where he says, if any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter. Ah, it's this idea of shameful, shameful behavior or, or rude behavior, inappropriate behavior uh, towards, his, towards, towards his virgin daughter. All right, then it goes on to say it's not self-seeking, which I think is kind of your preeminent definition, mm-hmm. uh, the standard by which everything else uh, falls into. Um, Paul is going to say in the book of Romans, Jesus did not please himself, Romans 15, verse 3. So uh, then it says love is not easily angered. Uh, it's not provoked to anger or contentious. But notice it doesn't say it's not angered. Love can get angered. Jesus does get angry. Paul does get angry. Proverbs 15, verse 1 says love uh, knows that a soft answer turns away wrath. Uh, but the idea is that is if we're provoked to anger too quickly, then all we're doing is building on the strife that's already present in the room there, right? And we need to, and love tries to extinguish that. Uh, love does not keep a record of wrongs. And that's an interesting one, right? Usually discussions with your spouse that finally get boil up to a point and all of a sudden, and what comes out is, yeah, but last week you did this and last month mm-hmm. you did this and that. We, we do, we keep these records of wrongs and eventually we, we suppress it because we want to keep peace. And then eventually something happens and then we, Throw out the 32 things that we've had on the list, and this is number 33, and that's why I'm so angry right now. Which but, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say this as well. I, I'm, I'm going back to a stat as a, a psych major and studying marriage and family stuff. I want to say the number one reason for divorce is uh, like resentments and those sorts mm. of unresolved oh, issues. And, and that's what you're doing is when you have resentment, it's oftentimes, not always, but it's oftentimes keeping a record of wrongs. 
yeah. and not dealing with them. That's that's so I, I guess yeah. appropriate wisdom to be read at a wedding, <laughs> even though that's not what right. this is talking about uh, right here. Uh, you know, but th that's that's definitely you can see the outcome of that. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, and think of it even social relations relationships mm -hmm. with others as well. Where we tolerate it when somebody does something to us, but eventually the fifth or sixth time we think, yep. hey, here's. And, and it's not to say that that list is, is necessarily inappropriate. Right? Correct. So if a, a spouse is beaten by another spouse, hey, this is the third time you've done that. This is a pattern. This is a problem. This has to be dealt. There's no there's no denying that that's that's the idea there. Yeah. But the idea behind keep, it does not keep a record of wrongs is that love does not dwell on evil that someone else has done mm. and saying, I'm going to hold this against you. Technically, the word actually is an accounting term. Mm -hmm. um, so Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Right? Jesus is not keeping a record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. I think this one's huge. Um, I think the more we realize the evil that's being done in society, the more grief we should have. I think about it this way. Jesus says, uh, and the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, right? blessed are those who grieve. And I think you turn the evening news on or you open up a web page or Twitter or whatever it might be, and you you see what you see the things that are happening in the world, it should cause us grief. We should we should weep daily mm -hmm. because of the grief that we see around us daily. And I think that's kind of the, the idea. So there's an Egyptian uh, proverb that says, Your friend will swallow gravel for you. Your enemy ma maximizes your mistakes. Hmm. So we don't delight in unrighteousness. The idea of that is that uh, we don't rejoice when somebody falls. Well, I, and I would just say, I think our popular society is built on that right now, especially in the day and age of memes and social media. And you like when, when someone has uh, some sort of gaffe, like this becomes a viral thing where everyone knows about it. And, and we kind of get joy in sharing in everyone's misery. I mean, that's not Christian yeah. <laughs> to sit no. around and laugh at people. It's not, especially when no. it comes to the, the, we'd mentioned political divide a number of times, but how often when we're watching our favorite news channel, do they just have segments about trying to find the other guy it, it caught in something and just make right. fun of them? Uh, right. It's like, that's not Christian. Like right. there, no. there's something, yeah. to be, there's something to be said for saying, is the other person having issues where they're screwing up enough? Are they competent to do their job? That, that's right. one thing from an evaluation standpoint, because we have a, a voice in the process, but to literally just sit and to try to sniper pick stuff off just to make fun of people. That's not Christian. No, 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 no. We saw, we see this even more and more today in the political ire mm -hmm. that kind of goes around, right? The name calling the label. Yep. It's like, that's not, that's not how you treat other people by mm -hmm. calling them a name or by labeling them as some, yeah. something. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't say, hey, this person has done this and this and this. You can critique. And just, yeah, yeah, you're critiquing them. Mm -hmm. This disqualifies them from this office. That's not the same as saying, I'm just going to give them this label and therefore everything they do falls yeah. under this label because I label them as, as, as such. Uh, not not loving at all. Yeah, not at all. So um, now there's a, a, another and distinction here. When it says love does not keep a record of wrongs, it doesn't mean that you don't remember them, mm -hmm. right? There's an old phrase with the Holocaust, we will never forget. Mm -hmm. And that, that's very significant. And German society is structured around the Holocaust saying, we're not going to let this happen so that that will never happen again. Correct. Uh, and I think that's important. Miroslav Volf uh, mm -hmm. wrote a book called The End of Memory. Uh, he says, remembering rightly, the, the subtitle of the book is remembering rightly in a violent world. Uh, he was Yugoslavian. I think you know who he is. Mm -hmm. and, and he was imprisoned and brutally interrogated for months by the communists. And he said this. He said, quote, we will not forget 
so as to be able to rejoice. We will rejoice and therefore let those memories slip out of our minds. The reason for our non-remembrance of wrongs will be the same as its cause. Our minds will be wrapped in the goodness of God and in the goodness of God's new world. And the memories of wrongs will wither away like plants without water. Wow. But even there, I mean, that's such a gospel-driven way Mm-hmm. of viewing injustices right it's saying we we know of the hope that we have to look forward to yeah. he, he mentions god's new world and that is the hope that we have therefore we don't have to worry about this right but again at the same time doesn't mean that you don't hold accountable those who did these exactly things yes or, or, and bring them to justice or that yes. you stay silent Correct. because that person might do that to somebody else now mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. all right love rejoices with the truth and I think this is one that we kind of get in trouble with a little bit too, because I think we make truth as like the barometer for everything else. Ah, this is the truth. So I rejoice with this and you guys are wicked because you don't, it's like, no, that's not the idea. Or I'm loving you by telling you the truth. And I'm going to be yeah. a total jerk for Jesus about yeah. it, but it, it's, it's love. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For Paul, the Corinthians were rejoicing with the man who had a stepmom mm. and Paul's like, yeah, that's not, that, that doesn't correspond with truth. Mm-hmm. Kenneth Bailey, who's got some really good work, he spent most of his life in the Middle East. And mm-hmm. so Bailey looks at the biblical text kind of from a Middle Eastern way of thinking, which is a honor and shame culture and all that stuff. And he says that a modern way to express this statement that uh, love rejoices with the truth is that love does not find violence entertaining. Mm. Like, wow, that's powerful. Right? I have a question about that. Let, let, yeah. Let's let's park on there and maybe, maybe okay. we don't want to sit there too long. You and I both love sports. So we're both football fans. Our teams happened to play each other this past weekend. How did that game turn out? I forgot. Are you going to edit this part out too? Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, but like we both love football. That's a violent sport. Like the point yeah. of the sport isn't to invoke violence, but it's part of the sport. So we could kind of justify that saying, well, the point isn't to hurt each other. Right. Right. And so l- let's assume that we're, we're no, we're no more noble and we allow for that sort of thing. I really struggle. Like I'm not a fan mm-hmm. of boxing, mixed martial arts. Like I'm not a fan of that stuff. Like when the point is literally right. to beat the snot out of the guy. Yeah, I, I can't stand, I can't watch it anymore. I used like, to watch it when I was a kid, Muhammad Ali and George, yeah, Foreman, yeah. George Foreman and all that stuff. Joe Fraser. Yeah. Yeah. I can't watch it anymore. Because like, I like, this is, is that barbaric. something that we, like, should we have those sorts of conversations? Yeah. Is this a clear, like a straight line between, um, you know, the Bible and violence and, you know, an ethic that we said, no Christians should not engage in this sort of thing. And if not, where do you draw the line or where is yeah, this a yeah. conscience issue? Like, what do you do with this? Well, yeah, I don't know that I'm going to sit here and pontificate and make, and say this is where the line is. Mm-hmm. I think what we do need to do is say, here's the biblical ethic. And now you need to address this yourself. I, I've had football players in my classrooms before. In, and they've, they said, we talk about this, the Christians on the, on the team. And they said, we talk about this in the locker room amongst the Christians, you know, at what point is going too far? Yeah. Uh, and so, and it's a struggle. I don't see how a sport, and this is just my, this is my opinion, like boxing or mixed martial arts to say, the point of the sport is to prove that I'm stronger and better than you are. Mm-hmm. And I do that by inflicting violence on you mm-hmm. uh, to the point of, sub- of, of submission. I just, I, I don't see how that, how I can do that as a Christian. I just, I don't see how I can do it. I'm not saying the Christians can't, don't do it. Or that none of the people that participate in it are, are not Christians. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just simply saying I, I can't do that. I, I have a problem with hockey myself mm. because fighting is part of the game. If you mm-hmm. any hockey fan, they're going to say like, hey, look, somebody slashed that guy. They need yep. to let the goons going to have to come on the ice and let the guy know you can't do that. You, you can't slash, you know, Wayne Gretzky or the, whoever the star 
uh, the modern um, uh, sport might be. Uh, but I have a problem with that myself. Personally, I just I struggle with that. Doesn't mean that you know if the Bruins make the finals, I wouldn't mm-hmm. watch it. And maybe maybe I would, but I don't think football, especially because they've toned it down so much. Yeah. Realizing the fact that you're doing serious damage to these people's brains. I mean, the whole thing of CTE and all the studies are coming out. It's like that becomes a legitimate Christian ethic. Even now compared to 20 years ago when that information wasn't there, ought a Christian participate in that when you could literally be doing damage that that completely affects this person? Like, should they be engaging in that? Well, I think if they, I think they can engage in it. As long as the sport is taking measures to remedy that or to, to minimize that, right? Okay. To, to limit that. The reality is you can get hit with a baseball in the face, yeah, yeah. right? Tony Canigliero, famous Red Sox player, and and die yeah. a, a number of years later as a result of that. So that makes baseball. When it first started coming out that CTE was a real thing. Yeah. And it might be more than 20 years ago now, right? Football and the NFL began denying it. Yes. And suppressing it. That's what the whole movie is about, right? They were suppressing it. And it, it was it was a big Sports Illustrated article yep. about this. Why? Because it was going to cost them money. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... I've been writing a series of posts on the beast in the book of Revelation or the, or the beast. And what does it mean? That's a perfect example of what it is. That money and economy drives false narrative or suppresses truth. Even so that other people can be harmed, endangered, and even killed because I want to profit from this. Hmm. So a Christian can say, I can participate in the sport, but you better clean it up. Mm-hmm. And a Christian needs to go, hey, I don't care if it costs you money. I don't care how much money it costs anybody. We need to stop this and we need to change this and we need to change the rules. And so the idea of the, of the violence for the sake of violence, there was a big thing. I don't know if you probably remember Vinny, but ESPN used to have you know the Monday Night Football show or whatever it was, and and they'd have they show the violent hits and yeah, they'd say yep, he got yep. jacked up, yep, yep, right? yep, and they'd all say it at the same time. Yep. Well, as soon as the CTE stuff came out, the NFL said you better stop that yeah. because we're going to get sued. So money drove the NFL. I'm sure this is the way it worked to demand ESPN stop doing that. Yeah. Well, the Christians should be demanding that you stop yes. doing that, not because of money, but because. Love demands that we care about the well-being of others. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's how I would look at it. So I think you can participate in these sports. I think some of them, for myself, I can't. And I think everyone's going to have to make their own, their own decisions. But I think that there have to be ethics involved. So you're going to add something else. I forget what it was now. It's, gone. Right, cool. it's probably cool. insignificant. But I will say this. Um, it's interesting when you look at uh, NFL promos from the 70s because it's it's all the slow motion hits of yeah. like a jack tatum arm bar deacon jones just to smack the guy in the head That's exactly you see these dudes flipping yeah. doing windmills and it was like yeah. watch the nfl and it's like oh my gosh like it's it's yeah. crazy but we were more macho we were more men yes. than they were it's like well yeah you're also more barbaric you know it, it's funny because we talk about the gladiators of mm-hmm. the ancient roman world yeah and how barbaric it was, then they go to watch these people die by being eaten by animals or yeah. killing one another. And it's like, and we turn that stuff on our TV all the time. Yeah. Right? Uh, it's not real. It's like, yeah, but there are cop shows out there that are real and people get thrills of that. I'm like, yep. no, this is grieving. That's I, I, just my thought. I think it's grieving. And I think we should grieve. Mm-hmm. And because we should grieve with that, I, there's a point where I'm like, I can't keep watching this because it just makes me so sad. Right? Yeah. And I think, that's something that we just need to consider there. So, yeah. Yep. 
Paul then adds four things. He says, love covers all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. Uh, and now your translations might differ on, on the first one. It covers all things or it protects, it keeps confidences. I think the New American Standard says it bears all things. I mean, look, it bears all things in the New American Standard. Uh, the idea is that love protects somebody else by covering things so that they're not exposed. Uh, Bailey says it this way. He says, I can share the secrets of my heart with someone knowing that they will not leak these secrets to somebody else because you love me right that's what love does love says hey listen you can be vulnerable with me and transparent with me and i'm going to help you and protect you in the midst of this and i'm not going to go share it with everybody else because obviously by the way you, you get some dirt on somebody else that's the way of elevating yourself by putting somebody else down and, yeah. and the answer is no uh, it doesn't do that so the verb actually that's used here that covers all things or bears all things whatever is actually used uh, to refer to a covering something of that that's a that has a liquid in it that keeps the liquid from coming out. In other words, love does not leak. The noun form is used for a roof. Mm. Right? So love doesn't leak things out that exposes somebody's vulnerable and makes them uh, vulnerable. Right? Love believes all things. Uh, obviously, things revealed by God. It doesn't believe everything. It just it believes what's been revealed by God. But it acts upon them. Right? And it doesn't believe naively. It, it believes with intelligence. Right? It rejoices with the truth. But it also acts upon them. And that's the hard part, right? Because when we know that something's the truth, and the hard part of love is the fact that we're selfish and self-centered human individuals. And if love, by definition, is to not seek one's own interests, then the love is almost antithetical to the, the sinful nature that, that we that we have. I wouldn't say it's antithetical to our nature, because I think we're, we're born with the nature instilled by God to love. Mm -hmm. I think that sinfulness that we have been corrupted by is what uh, makes it difficult. So uh, love hopes all things and love endures all things, perseveres, remains constant, remains faithful. Love never fails. And this gets us to the last part of the section then of Paul's description of love. So he begins by saying hey, what love looks like with regard to spiritual gifts in verses one through three. And then in verses four through seven, he kind of defines uh, what love is. Um, and then in verse uh, eight, he says, and love never fails. And the reason why love never fails is because it's eternal. And think about it this way. Love is who God is or what God is. And God is eternal. God has no time. And so for, for eternity, we will love. That's just, that's who we will become. Whereas spiritual gifts, that's why Paul says, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will be done away with. Because those things are not necessary in eternity. We don't need to prophesy. God's sitting right there. We we have access to divine knowledge right in front of us. Whereas love will abide. Love is, is eternal. It's interesting just from a translational standpoint. Uh, it, a lot of other translations, it doesn't say it doesn't love doesn't fail. It says love never ends. But mm. it, it still has that kind of... Uh, that same kind of idea of, of failing yeah. or ending. It's 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 just it's not eternal. I think is the the phrase that you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the idea then is uh, spiritual gifts are only for the present time, right? They're only mm -hmm. for, for this moment, for this point in, in history. Once the eternal comes, and there's no need for spiritual gifts, and that again confirms that this passage is been fashioned by Paul to address the situation and circumstance in Corinth. Mm -hmm. I'm sure if Paul were writing today to whatever church it might be or whatever group, he would change and transition. Love doesn't, you know, go on Facebook and say things like this that mm -hmm. denounces a group of people 
because in doing so, you are implicating someone else in there who takes that as an attitude of hatred towards them. Things, things of that nature there. So um, it's a, probably the case that the people in Corinth had concluded that tongues uh, was proof, as I said earlier, that, that they had attained the ultimate state, the ultimate state of, of existence. And Paul's like, no, tongues doesn't even exist into the future. But mm. love, uh, love never fails. Love mm. never fails. That's a side point. I, I forget who I read said that on a similar topic as missions don't go on forever. There's a day when there's no need for missions, right. but worship is eternal. Like just putting some of those things that we practice in the church into perspective where it's like, what, what are the things that actually go on and on? Like there's never a time where, where worship will end, even though something like missions and evangelism will. Uh, and uh, and it's the same thing, like love goes on forever. Like that yeah, doesn't exactly. stop. And I would say, and your worship isn't worship unless you're loving. Yes, I agree. Right? I think we make this distinction that worship is what I do in church. Yeah. And raising my hands, oh, if you're Presbyterian, you don't, but I'm you know, Baptist, and, so we don't either. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah so, you know, and singing loud or whatever it might be, uh, singing loud for all to hear. Okay, sorry. Um, but uh, we think that worship is what I do in church. And the answer is no, worship is what we do at all times mm -hmm. because we worship God by loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And therefore, you know, it's an act of worship when we go out there and care for others and care about others and display that care for others and uh, for justice and whatever else it might be. Well, and think about it. I, I'm going to do a very rough uh, uh, recitation of Hosea chapter six, but mm -hmm. the whole point in Hosea six is that, Hey, it's like, I don't want your offerings and all this stuff, mm -hmm. which is interesting because it's like, they're doing all the stuff that God had commanded them to do in Torah. And, and, and Yahweh's like, no, I don't actually want this stuff because I don't have your heart. That's the thing I want. Mm -hmm. So do, doing the thing itself actually isn't, the thing that pleases me, if it's not coming from a right posture, it doesn't matter. Right, right, right. So, hey, we have an, a letter. This I think this was in Kenneth Bailey's work. In Bailey's book is called Paul Through Mediterranean Eyes. And it's basically kind of a commentary on, on 1 Corinthians. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd like you to read it. It's a 14-year-old boy from uh, Lebanon who wrote the following kind of a reflection uh, from a relative's home after I think his own home had been destroyed. So you want to read that? Okay. I can still hear the sound of thundering guns telling me that somewhere nearby people are dying. Ever since we left the village, I feel as though something has been shattered inside of me. We have lost everything. Our house was burned. My books were torn to pieces. Our furniture was stolen. But what is more important is that the soft nights and the fresh mornings in the village are gone. And with them, I have lost my roots and have become like grass blowing in the wind, as the psalmist put it. Time is no longer the unending chain of hours and minutes marked by the hands on the huge clock at the entrance to my grandfather's house in the village. The big clock with its rhythmic sound that kept track of every heartbeat throughout the house is broken and time on it standing still. For me, time used to be the time of sleeping and of waking up and of working in the field, the time of life. But now time has left me. It belongs to the one who stands behind the thundering gun. It is the time of death. One night, <clears throat> one night early in September, our village was shelled and we fled. We hid in a cave near our small brook waiting for the mad night to subside. But the guns did not stop. So we fled again through the valley until we reached Beirut. We thought we had escaped, but the dark night caught up with us in all its madness. Am I living through a nightmare? 
Has time really stood still ever since the big clock was broken on the wall of my grandfather's house in the village? One day, someone came and told us that our house in the village, my grandfather's house, was looted and burned. The young men burned it after attempt emptying it together. My anguish grew into hatred. Hatred is strange for it takes on many forms. For me, it is like a boil. It took root within me and sowed the seeds of death in my heart. It grew and spread like a boil with nothing to pus inside. I woke up at the sound of the big guns and asked myself, how can a young man stand behind a gun and fire all those rockets around us? I thought of that young man, and to me, he acquired the face of that other young man who looted and burned my grandfather's house. Then, in the midst of the sound of thundering guns, from the depths of my despair and pain, I finally understood. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am but sounding brass like the empty shell cases of the big guns. Love alone can bear the burden of the living, for it bears all things. It bears this young man who is standing behind the gun and the other young man who burned my grandfather's house. We carry our dead with us like opened wounds. All of us have such wounds. Life is different. Life is the realm of love which overcomes death. I pray that the living Lord may reign in our lives and not our dead. Mm -hmm. mm, wow. wow. All right. Hey, I think, I think we've touched on it pretty well. 1 Corinthians 13 is in the midst of this section of Paul on, in the book of 1 Corinthians on spiritual gifts. The church in Corinth had some people within it that had thought that they had attained some special elite status because they were speaking in tongues. Paul's answer is, if you're not using your spiritual gifts for the sake of love, which is to edify others, then they're worthless. And instead, love is like this. And he goes on to define that love is like the cross. It lays down its life for the sake of the other. It considers others more important than themselves. And then the conclusion is, and love is eternal and the spiritual gifts aren't. So what's more important is that we are man that we manifest love more so than we manifest these spiritual gifts that um, lead us to boast and brag and things of that nature. Let, let us finish, unless you have any other thoughts of any. I, I got a list of verses here. We're not going to read them. Obviously, we don't, we don't have time any longer. I'm going to list them now for those of you who are listening. I'm going to put them in the show notes. And just to encourage you to say, you know what, go spend some time if you listen to this episode on love and go read these verses. And maybe the things that we've kind of chatted on here a little bit today will help enlighten your understanding of these of these texts and help you understand what love looks like and maybe just make these texts a little bit more known. So Leviticus 19, verse 18, that's obviously the second commandment. Matthew 5, verse 43, Matthew 5, 44 through 46, Matthew 19, verse 19. Matthew 22, verses 39 and 40. Mark 10, verse 21. Mark 12, verses 31 through 33. Luke 6, verses 27 through 38. Luke 10, verses 25 through 27. John 15, verses 12 through 17. James, chapter 2, verse 8. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 22. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 17. And 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 8. First John chapter two verse ten, like, like the whole the whole First John. Just read the whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But First John chapter three verses ten through eighteen. First John chapter three verse twenty three. First John four verse seven. For First John four verse eleven to eleven and twelve. First John four verses twenty and twenty one, and First John chapter five verse one, hmm. and then Second John verses five and six. So I think that kind of gives you some homework maybe to go back on and reflect on. I don't think we should, 
Yeah, and then the next thing would be to say, you know what, this, we're going to not only make this our our prayer, but a commitment of our lives to say, Lord God Almighty, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. Help me to love in this situation. Help me to love in that situation. Help me to love today. Make that our prayer every day. Help me to be a person who images you by being loving in this moment. Someday we'll stand before his throne and he'll say, well, you did all right. Well, and I, I think it's important to note that we have the, uh, there's always that joke of the Sunday school answer, where if you say Jesus, love, or God, yeah, you'll get the thing right. And it, this seems like one of those things that you graduate from where it's like, okay, yeah, we know about the love thing. Now let's get into the deep theology stuff. Right, right. And it's like, now nah, you never graduate from love. Like it's gotta yeah. be there all the time. Right. Yeah. You know, and a good homework, another homework assignment to do, by the way, is to go and read first Corinthians 13 and put your name in the text. Mm. Instead of saying love, say Rob is mm. patient. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. Well, anyway, you, you get the idea. <laughs> Rob is kind, right? Rob does not brag. Well, okay, skip that one too. Um, but yeah, but just just insert your name and make that your prayer. And, mm. and don't go, well, that, that's absurd. It's like, no, that's the point. The point is that we're supposed to be able to insert our name there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, good homework. All right. Yeah. Hey, very well. And unfortunately right now I can only read it with a Vinny ought to be Vinny ought to be I, yeah. I can't wait to the point I could put is Rob's trying to be kind. Yeah. It just ain't working. Yeah. 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 Trying yeah. to be patient. I just, it ain't happening fast enough. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, Hey man, uh, good show you know today. What? I hate your Raiders a little bit less today than I did yesterday. <laughs> Am I getting better? It's not my fault that you guys can't run a lateral. All right. Well, next week we will hop into chapter 14 and, uh, which is continuing still the themes. It's not new, new section. And, uh, man, we are almost done with first Corinthians. This is amazing. Hey, by the way, let's close with a song with a song. Yeah. I love you. I love you. Say to the Lord. I love. I don't know this song. You don't know that. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.